City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Design A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wings working in the theatre seminars, now in their 30th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars offer a rare opportunity to explore with the panelists the realities of working in a theatre. This panel discussion is with stage designers. We'll learn something about how and why these scenic, costume, and lighting designers became professionals, and just how significant their contributions are to the success of any theatrical production. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing. And now, let me introduce our moderator for this afternoon, Tony Award-winning designer, Heidi Ettinger. Thank you. I'd like to introduce our spectacular panel, uh, Catherine Zuber, a costume designer. Uh, next to her is Skip Mercier. Uh, and Anna Luisos is right next to uh, Skip, who's a wonderful set designer. Next to her is Don Holder, a lighting designer. And David Gallo, a wonderful set designer. So thank you all for coming, and uh, I think I'd like to start with a sort of a controversial question, which is, is it true we learn more from our failures than our successes? And if that's been the case, can you think of any like real bombs that you've done recently, or not so recently, uh, in which you've learned something pretty interesting? Yeah? Everyone's ah, a little scared of this one. Uh, I well, it's hard to define the success. It's, it, do you mean economic success? What's success? Is it economic success, or is it a popular success, or is it a artistic success? Well, so many shows that we do are, are sometimes their economic successes and artistic failures, and also vice versa. I guess the other question is, which is the most painful? Hmm. The artistic. The most painful is an artistic failure, I think, even if it is a critical or. Well, chances are, if it's an artistic failure, it won't be a critical success. Mm -hmm. But it may be an economic success. But I don't think any of us are um, designers um, to make money. And I think we have a passion for the art and craft of uh, working in the theater. And um, that's why we're there. If we can make a living, great. But um, I think it's very, um, it, as I mature and get older, um, um, artistic failures become more and more depressing and they really feel like um, they're very draining. Um, it's not worth whatever money you're making um, if you have to participate in that kind of experience. Um, because then you feel like you're just there earning a paycheck and that's not what we do, that's not where we, where we come from, that's kind of against our principles. We do the work because we love the work and we're passionate about the work and we love 
um, being a part of something bigger than ourselves and contributing to the whole, to the process. So. That's a good answer. <laughs> are, we, are we speaking strictly about Broadway here, too? Or no, no. Definition of, okay. No, <coughs> I mean, that's where the, the financial question, I guess, rears its head the most. You know, I mean, I've, I've not to get you know, too deep into it, but I've been designing for a long time. I've done quite a number of shows. And I've only had one show run more than a couple weeks. You know, <laughs> so it's not like <laughs> it's hard to relate. You know, you designed 20-something <laughs> shows over the course of years, and, and you know, show runs seven weeks, and everybody's all bummed out. And you're like, well, you know, I, I, in high school, we only ran three days. And then in you know, regional <laughs> theater, it ran a month. And then Broadway, it runs, you know, six weeks. You know, I, got, I got used to that pattern after a while. Probably shouldn't admit that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, uh, but but Millie's been doing kind of well. So I guess it, it's you know, you know, again, the, what's just thing exploring the definition of what is you know successful. Yeah. Well, frequently the artistic success is is satisfaction enough. I mean, I, right. we've been involved in some shows mm -hmm. together in which they've been uh, artistically very satisfying, although commercially disastrous. Yeah, and it's also like within the process. Um, I think we all go into it putting our all. I don't think any of us start uh, with a cynical attitude like, oh, this is going to be, we're just doing this for the money and we don't care. I think we all go in with open hearts and, and, and with the anticipation that it's going to be an artistic success. But then somewhere along the line, there's that creeping feeling. Uh, it's usually when we go into tech, where we just, all our hopes are dashed and you can kind of see that it's a sinking ship, and that's when it's difficult. I think that's when the pain begins, when you really sort to realize that all this effort that you've done, and it's not until that point, and I think that's when it's painful, that realization. And I think we've all been there in situations where we just feel like all those dreams and hopes for this project um, are just not going to come to fruition. Plus, and as an artist, you can't do your best work in those situations. Exactly. So you realize that whatever work you do, it's not going to be up to the level that you want it to be because we are collaborators and we can only <coughs> do our part. And um, I think we all would all agree that you do your best work when you work with the best people on the best material, that um, if it falls short, then you it's difficult to succeed. It's difficult to sort of bring your work to the level that you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely um, disappointing and discouraging when you're, you're sort of midway through the process. You want so badly for it to be good and you realize, you know, you can only take it so far. And I've been in that situation, like I'm sure all of us have been. Mm -hmm. you, uh, um, you're talking about in, uh, when you're working on a on Broadway, or is this on like some uh, mainly on Broadway? I mean, you know, Broadway because on Broadway, you know, the the amount of commitment and the amount of time and the amount of energy I think it, it surpasses any um, regional or um, off Broadway project that I've ever done. Um, and when you fail, you feel huge, right? And yes. really publicly. Too. And now yeah. you're, right, 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 you're right, in the I'll middle of a microscope. <laughs> I mean, you know, now that uh, you know, there's chat rooms and there's um, columnists oh, and everything else, um, sort of watching your every move and. Um, so everything you do and the projects you're involved with are um, un in a fishbowl and everybody's judging from the moment you put your work out there. And so, yeah. I actually find it, uh, because I've, I'm kind of new new kid on the block, <coughs> I would think, even though I've worked in this business for 20 years, but <laughs> it's the first year I've had uh, two shows on Broadway, first time. Um, most of my work has been off-Broadway and regionally, and the thing I find frustrating, especially off-Broadway, is you put your heart and soul, like you said, Kathy, into what you do, and so few people come and see it, you know, because 
there are these small theater companies and um, everyone's really trying to be heard and seen on these in these <coughs> little theaters and there's so many of them in New York especially that struggle and um, you just want people to come see and often it's they, they don't have advertising budget so it tends to be word of mouth and a lot of times they're limited runs and only so many people can see them so it's okay. they may be artistic successes but uh, most of the time they they fail because they fail economically so and and also isn't it true that sometimes just you're so financially limited oh, that you become totally. artistically sort of hogtied at the same time do you find that's true or is your imagination <coughs> release the the less money you have to play with well you have to play with what you've got i mm -hmm. think and mm -hmm. and and sometimes it forces you to to distill the most important things i mean there've been times when we've done shows we've done shows where the director says, okay, let's spend all our money on this one thing. You know, you decide what's the most important element on the set and you just sink your, you sink your resources into that and you make that a centerpiece. Mm -hmm. And then, or you just come up with something very simple and functional, but something that satisfies you as a designer. I also think like if you have a small budget, it's sort of fun um, to, to meet the challenge of how to serve the play um, given limited resources. I'm working right now at New York Theatre Workshop on this new play called The Beard of Avon, which has like 50 Elizabethan costumes in it, and we had a budget, I think, of $25,000. Um, so it's sort of fun to sort of, it's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, and I guess I'm uh, sort of uh, a love a challenge that way, and uh, it's sort of fun to see it kind of come together and the actors are having fun, and you know, it's it's sort of a we're having a we're having a good time working on this uh, project, and I have to say it's very artistic. You know, in terms of um, um, artistically, I find it very satisfying. Personally, finance uh, personal finances are, are really um, shockingly poor, but um, <laughs> um, it is artistically uh, fulfilling. Um, so. Um, Sometimes I feel so privileged to um, work in, in a discipline where you can have so much fun uh, on what you love to do. And I think sometimes when you work on commercial projects, that sort of buoyancy and exuberance starts to dissipate because of um, the, the financial considerations sort of make us all have to behave in a more serious manner. So sometimes we lose that sort of... Um, buoyancy in a way um, and I think um, um, trying to keep that alive um, in a commercial project is is, <coughs> is very important um, to its success and uh, um, so, so do you find yourself coming up with really ingenious solutions to the no money problem yes yeah, so yeah. is this sometimes <coughs> the work actually better because right. there's no money right I mean like all of a sudden, we decided we needed somebody in a toga. So, you know, I went to uh, Century 21 this morning and bought a sheet for $10, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks great, and it's right, and, you know. Um, it, it's sort of things like that where sort of coming up with solutions um, uh, that, that, that are off the cuff, it has, it has a great out-of-the-trunk kind of excitement and I think the piece stays alive sometimes because of that. Less, uh, less labored. Yeah. <coughs> right. And sometimes things I think can get overproduced and mm -hmm. um, uh, and 
also sometimes um, there's something organic about feeling that it can have that sort of, oh no, let's cut this, but let's bring that in. And when everything's sort of pulled and gathered together, um, it, it's, it's easier to do that. Uh, uh, sometimes when things, um, a lot of investment has been made in something, you're always so anxious, like, oh, I hope we spent this money wisely. Right. Um, you know, like, you know, you, uh, both of you as set designers, you know, you feel like, oh, you know, the director is asking for the set piece and it's a huge part of the budget. And maybe sometimes I know in the back of your mind you may feel it's not really the way to go, but you have to <coughs> produce that. Um, I know with costumes that happens. Um, sometimes you, you feel, you know, you hope that this part of the budget, the percentage that's being asked to go to a certain scene and you go, oh, you know, in the back of your mind you say, oh, I know the scene is going to get cut or this isn't the way to go, but sometimes so it's all of those decisions. Or yeah, well, sometimes you can just stall it out. If you know it's going to go anyway, you can just cut. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I think about the financial uh, uh, constraints of, of that, one of the things that I've found uh, stimulating is, is architectural restraints. I don't know how specific we can get here, you know, but like Manhattan Theatre Club having that that stage uh, stage one, their main stage theater, it's incredibly mm -hmm. wide, it's incredibly deep, and it's 11 feet high. It's this really low thing. And the two things I've done in there, you know, I, I was pleased with the results just because I kind of felt that that, that, that pushed me into a into a, at least a unique, you know, solution for such mm -hmm. a, you know, funky space. You know, one of the theater that I really like is uh, the second stage at Cincinnati Playhouse in, in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, <coughs> it's a very unusual little theater, but uh, the one thing that I did in there was one of the things that I'm in many ways the most pleased with, because it was you know, all of the handicaps turned into into virtues. You know. mm. And talking about the money thing for a minute, you know, you talk, I didn't mean to shift the topic away from you know lower budget stuff, but I, you know, we're talking about flops. I have to say, okay, I designed Dance <laughs> of the Vampires. I'm sorry, <laughs> apologize, <laughs> everybody's sorry, but I had to bring it up. And interesting, I'm the first person to actually mention a show title here. Oh, but I got time. But, so. but uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to go there. <laughs> but I'm talking about that. But, you know, that was a situation where you talk about the smell of failure, <coughs> uh, where we had a tremendous amount of money, but getting things done was hard in many ways. And again, not to get so particular, but the shops just wouldn't show, you know, because they knew it's, you know, it's not going to work. You know, I mean, they sort of sensed the sense of failure. And so getting anything done, even though we had the money, was problematic because... It, it was just this sort of treadmill of, you know, I don't know, the scenery shop, you know, they make more money, they don't show up, you know what I mean? So, so getting things done in that one was, was particularly difficult because we already had that sense of, sense of failure. You know? Well, some, so sometimes it comes <coughs> so early that you have to deliberately put yourself in a sen in just in, into denial. Mm -hmm. We worked on the red shoes together. Right. Oh, yeah, so ago. you know yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know. Talk about we were when did I forget, by the way? Whoa. <laughs> when did I forget? <laughs> well, you about can throw... About the failures? Oh. Well, of that magnitude. Because those shoes shows were pretty... They were, they were, yeah, pretty massive failures. Yeah. Uh, artistically, commercially, every way it was... Uh, and, 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 in fact, in the, in the red shoes, um, so many people kept got fired that the stagehands kept a little chart of dead ballerinas yeah. backstage. Yeah. <laughs> it was really sad. Well, we had first day, first day of loading, these, these prop mushrooms showed up at Vampires, and that's when the house carpenter told all his men to like, keep, keep uh, what, February free. He said, there's no way. You know, <laughs> said, you're all going to be employed for the next, you know, for 10 weeks then to pull it out. Um, 
Unfortunately, they usually know. You know, they, the stagehands do know. It's weird the things yeah. that they know. It's yeah. it's uh, uh, yeah, it's it's strange. And they not only know in that theater, but they know in all the theaters yeah. because oh, they all yeah. talk. They do. Yeah. Although yeah. I don't know, that's also not sometimes. always true. I remember uh, my first Broadway show, Eastern Standard, at the Golden, um, oh. uh, Into the Woods was. Um, Previewing at the Martin Beck, and I remember the stagehand saying, "Yeah, that's going to be. They should call it into the truck." <laughs> and, um, they were predicting the demise, and of course, it was a huge critical critical success anyway. So they're not always right. Well, that's true. When we did Smokey Joe's Cafe, they were always saying, "You know, line up the trucks. The show will be out of here." But you had the worst reviews of all time for that one. Didn't I mean, that was. But they were not the worst. <laughs> but <laughs> the, only reason, the only reason I mentioned is because that when it closed. They reprinted all the bad reviews in Variety. Do you remember that? It was oh, they were, it, was, they were it was great. It was like, yeah. you know, dear critics, thanks for the last, <coughs> well, how long did it run? Oh, it was five years. They ran a long time. Yeah, so they, touring. Uh, Everyone made a ton of money, so. So they were <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it was great to see a little, little finger yeah. back at them. <laughs> well, it's true. And it's certainly no good to know that the critics really can't kill a show. I mean, they can try really hard, but frequently yeah. they can't succeed, so that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Let me ask the question of, uh, that always comes up ab about uh, the spectacle and the, this whole concept that always gets bandied about, whether or not the, the designers and their love of spectacle is what's destroying the economics of Broadway today, whether it's necessary, unnecessary, helpful, hmm. not. Do we love spectacle? I do. I don't know about you. <laughs> do you like it? I don't know. Some shows tell me to go there, and, and a collaboration may lead me there. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I like spectacle for the sake of spectacle. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't. I think if, it, if the show calls for it, then go for it. But, um, you know, I mean, there are many examples where I think shows can be su successful and popular and can be very simply presented. Um, you don't think there's an expectation now? I think there's an expectation, but that doesn't mean... Guaranteed no, we success. All, yeah, it, and it, it, mm -hmm. I do think there's an expectation. From my experience on several of the Broadway musicals I've worked on, that it was made pretty clear that that's the mandate. Um, whether or not you agree with it as a designer, you know, you can't always, you know, you don't always prevail. You have to, uh, we're, our job is to serve the piece, serve the production. Um, but I agree that spectacle isn't always, you know, it's not necessarily a guarantee for anything. Yeah, and people, um, the, the truth is people spend $100 for a ticket and there's a certain expectation for exactly. the money that they spend. To get their money's worth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think but you know what, I, I, but I would argue that if it's compelling, um, moving, a moving, e compelling moving evening in the theater, I don't care what it, you know, of course it, you know, counts what it looks like, but ultimately that's what has to be at the core of any good piece. And I think if people come out moved or transformed or um, caused to think in a different way or see the world differently, it doesn't matter. Um, th th they'll think they got their money's worth, um, whether or not there was a spectacular visual display on stage or not. So. I also think it's a definition of the word spectacle because <coughs> I think, you know, sometimes when you go to BAM there's um, beautiful productions, um, let's say by the director Robert Wilson, that aren't classically spec uh, spectacular, but they're beautifully designed. There's an yeah. elegance to the design and there's simplicity, but the design is an important um, part of, a of the experience part. and a dominant, a dominant part, part of that yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is important, that the de I think design is a very important part of the theatrical experience. It always has been since the Greeks. You know, it was always 
um, a key part. And to overlook that or to feel it's not important or to dismiss it, I think, is um, a, a dangerous direction that um, um, theater can, can, can go in if we're not careful. Yeah, and I think, well, I, I agree. I don't think that design should be underestimated and, and the role that it plays on stage because many of the problems that the directors uh, the, the, many of the problems that are solved with the script or with uh, telling the story, I think, are often solved by the designers. I think designers uh, can really help a play a great deal. They help the directors a lot. I mean, I've worked with directors that, um, you know, <coughs> we, we collaborate. We talk through the play. We, re we read through the play. And, you know, depending on who the director is, some are very visual. Some directors, I'm sure, have a very strong idea of what they want to see on stage, or they at least have a gut feeling, and then they talk to you about it, and then, but it's our job to interpret what it is that they want and and realize it. But often, they don't they don't think it through completely. They just have this feeling that they want to convey on stage, and then, I think. Well, I think yeah, because the the, the the way that ultimately the way a show or a piece is interpreted is up to the, the way the designer presents it. So in other words, you, we create the world in which this piece is viewed. So it's the design is critical for the you know, sort of the overall success or clarity of the production as the director envisions it. Mm -hmm. do, um. do you all have a preference for a, do, do you feel happier when a director comes in really being extremely specific about the visual world and what he wants? Or a director who comes in and has no clue at all. I mean, no clue. You like you would prefer Absolutely. no clue. Mm -hmm. no That's really. right. Oh, interesting. Wow. Really. And, mm -hmm. and it's if they come in with a love of the work and mm -hmm. get me to love the work. That's my favorite place to start. It's mm. because we come to the table empty, and we explore it together, and we find it together. Well, how do you start that exploration um, ball going? Falling in love with the work. Just mm -hmm. absolutely falling in love with the work and coming to the table. I, I attempt to come to mm -hmm. the table as empty as possible, which is really hard because mm -hmm. we're so visual that, that ideas and pictures and images come instantly. And I try very hard to keep them back and come. And I, I, I think that where the joy in that comes for me is that what happens on stage, what actually ends up on stage, ends up not necessarily mine or the directors. It ends up an experience that's whole. And my, my success visually has been more with those productions that end up whole than when, when something is, I have this great idea, especially when it's mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Yeah. I find the whole line blurred. I mean, I, your first response confused me, but I never realized what you mean by with nothing, coming with nothing and exploring it together. I mean, I always felt, you know, I feel like I'm only as successful as the director that I'm working with. You know, I mean, the best, I've just been really fortunate to work with some great directors and some great pieces. Uh, so what I like is when they may come with an idea. Or the, uh, one of the things I often say about what I do is I just give them right back what they asked for. You know, a couple years ago I did A View from the Bridge, uh, you know, a revival of A View from the Bridge. And what Michael Mayer, the director, had said was, you know, I almost want to put it in the middle of President Street in Brooklyn. So I did. I just... It was a street, and you know that's that was all it was. You know what I mean? And it was, it 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 it, it was a relatively successful you know production. But he came with, at least that as his you know as his thought. Um, some directors, you know, as you say, work with like uh, work with Chris Ashley a lot, and that he's doesn't come with specifics, but you. Exp 
you design the play together, and he doesn't leave the meeting until he knows what you're, you know, what you're, you know. Okay, in this scene we're gonna have this, and this scene we're gonna have that, you know. And mm -hmm. it, it's it's very much designed together, you know. But one of the most uh, fascinating directors uh, for me is is Marion McClinton, who uh, Don and I work with a great deal, and he comes with the most abstract passion and idea, but it's never particular, you know. Wouldn't you say, you know? Yeah. So. So, uh, like it, what? It, uh, like, 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 well, I'm doing this, this uh, Regina Taylor piece for Manhattan Theatre Club for the Biltmore, and it's this seagull, and it's, uh, it's a relatively abstract piece. And the visual he came to me was, was, uh, uh, uh the animated film Spirited Away. I don't know if you've seen it, it's a Japanese so, animated right, yeah, film, yeah. it's a brilliant movie. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, that kind of, that kind of sense. Or, or, or Jitney, when I did the August Wilson play a couple years ago, that whole design just came from Marion and, uh, and August and I talking about a big window. So it just, mm -hmm. the, you know, I, I interpreted that further as having no, no walls and it was just putting the whole of Pittsburgh, you know, on that stage. Um, I mean, in many ways, Marion is just the most poetic. Uh, uh, the, 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 you get, you get your poetic ideas rather than specifics. Um, um, for him, which is, you know, I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree with that. I mean, there's a tonality uh, that, that uh, he winds up being articulating what he wants um, without being literal or specific. I mean, it's more, he kind of communicates on an emotional yeah. level. Not that and, the other uh, he uses analogies that, you know, based on music or art or uh, film or, or a play that he, I mean, he, he, that's the way he communicates by uh, sort of challenging you and asking you and imploring you to sort of look in this particular direction mm -hmm. um, rather than giving you a specific idea. It's true. And, and that, that sort of develops um, the, the, the seed for something interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what I like. I mean, you're articulating that very well. That's what I like. It's when coming to the table with the emotion rather than the visual. The minute you're in a land of visual, you're, you're in a land of choices. Right. And as long, for, me, for me personally, what happens is the longer I can keep it emotional, the, the stronger my visual is. The, the visual gets stronger and stronger. Yeah, and often, oh sorry, I didn't mean to drill. Yeah, I just have a hard time. Um, we've all worked with people that come to the table with the idea or what they want or what, you know, and that's harder, that's much harder for me to, because mm -hmm. I can do that. I know how to mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not a place where I can grow and they can grow if we start there. Yeah, right. mm -hmm. yeah I, f I found it over the years, I realized, I started understanding my process. And if I work with somebody new, I have to explain to the director what it looks like is irrelevant for a really long time. You know what I mean? And that's a bit of a surprise for some people. You know, well, you're a designer. It's really all about what it looks like. But it's like, no, it's not about, you know, we'll figure that out later. It's, you know, what, what is it that we're trying to do here, trying to say, trying to be. And then we'll, then we'll ultimately, you know, I promise you'll have an idea of what it looks like before we open. But, uh, <laughs> for now, you know, just sort of jamming up with the ideas. Um, I've worked with Scott Schwartz a number of times. He's mm -hmm. a young director. He's directed uh, Bad Boy, and uh, he's directed this Goldus production of Goldus Balcony mm -hmm. that we're doing now. And he, he's a very visual director. He's young, but he's very, very smart. And, and he sees, he's a very good, he loves, he, he stages things very well. And he <coughs> tends to bring things to meetings when we first have a meeting. We'll talk about the play, but then he'll also bring disparate things, you know, art that he's seen, various <coughs> artists that inspire him or that speak to him about a particular piece that we're working on. And um, 
And we just talk about the pictures, and we just respond to pictures or um, articles or, you know, it, there's a number of materials that he pulls from and that I pull from, and we just show each other what we have in mind. And, and it's interesting how we sometimes respond to the same images together, and often that's a departure point for us where we, we, we see something in an image, and that takes us to a place that may manifest itself on stage or may not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what's hip is the opposite end of that. We were talking about failure earlier. <laughs> when you get nothing, it's yeah. that's when you fail, you know, and when you're working completely in a, in a void, yeah. which that's I have. really hard. Oh, you have no idea. Hopefully, you'll never experience uh, it. Yeah, no. but it, it does. It does happen. Where they, well, you know what? What what's, what sometimes happens is that that you get they, they they'll go okay hire that designer because their work's good, so I won't have to worry about the set. Do uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that that's happened to me. Like, well, yeah, he's he's been around, so at least I won't have to worry about the scenery because he'll make it great. Well, there um, is something worse that could happen. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> is that um, you're designing in a void and halfway through the tech process, all of a sudden, there's a point of view that oh. has nothing to do oh. with what you've designed. <laughs> I've been through that, too. That's scary. I'm not saying. <laughs> that. That's around the know. We can talk privately. This would be a very different conversation with no hmm. camera. Well, I, should, I, think <laughs> <laughs> I think worse than that is a situation where the, the director will actually bring in a, a sketch of a bad idea that they've had. Oh, that I've never had that. That's really bad. I know that there's That's one. That's the time to quit. Until <laughs> they, they bring in a, a drawing. Yeah. yeah, not good. But often I find the phrase like, "This is a terrible idea," but from director is, mm -hmm. is sometimes good. great. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Because usually it's like, "No, actually, it's a great idea. You just said that for mm -hmm. whatever reason." So, so I do. But a sketch. I know that there's one. Apparently, there's a des major designer that asks the first meeting says, "What do you think it should look like?" You know, you. You draw it. I think just for fun. Oh. I don't know. And then <laughs> director, you know. <laughs> but you, I don't know if you all collect the doodles, you know. Keep your, keep your drawings. The director doodles? Yeah. Oh. From, you but know. Michael Mayer doodles, and uh, he's actually, he without, without sort of telling you, I mean, I've watched him collaborate with Dave, and it's very interesting. He's a little bit more visual, and he actually can articulate his ideas in a crude way, but a clear way by sketching something. And it's not like he's telling Dave at all how to design mm -hmm. it, but he sees it, responds to it, mm -hmm. and says he processes what he sees, and he goes in his own direction. But I found, you know, he's done, he did that with Thoroughly Wired Miller. He had some interesting ideas, right? So he's responsible. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, I'm not saying he's responsible. I'm saying that, that Michael couldn't say, well, I, you know, I feel like it's in sort of this style. He, mm. you know, he, doodled some. He doesn't doodle much, though. He do Chris Ashley and I will sit there with a pack of paper and a bunch of pencils and draw back and forth. And he can't draw at all, but he's not afraid to, right. you know. And that, that uh, But sometimes, it, from my outside perspective, it's not always a challenge. Or well, it's just another way of communicating. Yeah. You'd never get a drawing out of Mary McClinton, but you'd no. get, it, you'd get a, a mix CD that he put together, and you'd, right. you'd, you'd <laughs> listen to all these tunes, and you'd be like, oh yeah, man, I get it, you know. Mm. It's, 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 again, it's just different ways of communicating. Well, what yeah, depending on the artistry of the director as well. I mean, we've worked with Julie Tamar and collaborated who can draw. with her. Who can draw beautifully. Mm -hmm. And Julie and I have done drawings together with, hmm. with a, that has, have ended up on stage. Mm -hmm. And that, there's a joy in that as well. But, but again, it's about the collaboration. It's where you're coming from. It's where the piece is coming from. And, and it's a shared 
where we're going or where we're attempting to go. Once that's there, it's, I, I don't get nervous about a director drawing at all. I, I get nervous when they draw better than me. But Tina Landau is a, a director I work with quite a bit who's a painter, and not many people know mm -hmm. that. And she's, I, I discovered that after done, we, we had done several shows together, and she never just brought that to the table. She usually comes with, I, I, I want an empty theater. Hmm. I don't want anything. I don't want a thing. Hmm. And it's, it's amazing how we've done that a few times. Well, what do you think the difference are, is between, or which is more satisfying artistically to work at the not-for-profit world or the for-profit world? I mean, are you allowed greater freedoms artistically in the not-for-profit world that you, you're too, there's too much economics riding on the for-profit to be able to take those kind of leaps, or, or it's what? It's, it's, uh, it's frustrating because on one hand you have, you have artistic license, you get to get your hands dirty. You really get to get in there and do things much more. You're much more involved in creating, you know, just hands-on design work. But what I find frustrating is the economics of it. Often there's just not enough money to do what, you, what the director wants to do. And, and I found with Avenue Q off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater, their budget was so small. And we had been, Jason Moore, the director, and I were talking about all these wonderful ideas and things that could pop out of the set and open up and spin around. And we were just letting our imaginations go crazy. And then when we presented <coughs> it, to uh, the artistic directors, um, they were like, "We can't afford to do this. We, this is, you guys have designed a Broadway show. We can't do this." And it was kind of a devastating blow because the director was, he was cut so short and so surprised by it that um, at first we were just kind of at a quandary as to what to do. And um, once we got over the initial shock of, you know, this tiny budget for this show, I was never told what the budget was. That was the I other thing. I hate it when they do that. They won't tell yeah, you. They won't that. tell you what the budget yeah. is for some reason. I was like, well, well, we'll talk about it. Just let's see what you come up with, and then we'll talk about it. So we just went crazy, and we, right. we had a great time. And then uh, we had to regroup and s started thinking about what really matters to this show. And reconceived it completely and basically came up with this advent calendar idea mm -hmm. where it's just things pop out and open up and simplified the way to tell the story and they were willing to go with that even but though they did go over budget ultimately. But maybe but that was better though. It was, it better. was better. It was See? absolutely no that's the thing that I realized is it that limitations that you said David when when you're confined by the space I think it's a great thing because if we're allowed to, to design in a vacuum it's really dangerous because it's such a collaborative well, art. Finding finding the essence, the visual essence and, of a and piece is I really important. Yeah, and every time I've been told, No, you can't do this, I get angry, but then I go, Okay, I have to learn, I have to figure out what to do differently mm -hmm. and and you end up finding, like you said, the essence of what, what it is about the design you're trying to communicate. And um, it always ends up better. Because I love what we just came up with in the end. Oh, I do too. It, it's a it, wonderful it works, design. It works really yeah. well. And uh, it never would have been what I would have come up with by myself. Hmm. Yeah, but you never want to say that because, you know, then they'll <laughs> always say, well, back, you know, every time you do the show, back to the drawing board, cut it in half, and it'll be better. <laughs>
That's not <laughs> always the case. No, no, no. I actually don't notice the distinction of budgets between regional theaters and Broadway. There's just more zeros on Broadway, but yeah, it, it, really it's <laughs> the truth. I, mean, you all, I think you all would agree that it's the same problems, you know, the same, for the most part, the same situations. You have a little bit of leverage when you're remounting a show because there's at least a bit of a precedent, you know. But you, you used the phrase, and I bet inadvertently you said when you showed it to the, the staff at the Vineyard, they said, well, you've designed a Broadway show, dot, dot, dot. But you, then you designed it on Broadway, and you didn't have all the money to do all the things that you wanted to do, you know, I'm guessing. You, know, you mean for Broadway? Yeah. I mean, you, then you did it on Broadway. and, and did we, the, 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 we added a few more surprises. But the buckets of money that people think you have on Broadway, you no. just start falling from the no. ceiling to do, you know. No, this is a small Broadway show. And, and when you talk about spectacle, mm -hmm. that's a, I think that's an example of a show where it's really not spectacle. I mean, the design is not a spectacular design, it's, but it tells the story for the play, and I think the play is, is successful. I mean, right now it's, it's, it's doing very well, and the audiences seem, seem to re be responding to it, but I wouldn't call that a spectacle. No, but it's an enormously witty design, and, and the wit of it really <coughs> reinforces the intention of the piece. So in terms of uh, a, a, an environment in which the piece can really live and work, I think what you've designed really accomplishes that. And I, I can't imagine the piece working in a different kind of environment. Oh. Yeah, so give yourself some okay. credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we didn't have all the spinning things that we started out with. Well, that, that's the whole thing about putting all your money in the basement or in the mechanics, because yeah. I think there's this temptation to, to make a lot of spinning things. and and. They're almost never worth the money that they cost in right. the end. It's Sometimes they don't spin. <laughs> Frequently they don't spin. Frequently Again, I'm not naming names. <laughs> <laughs> it's the scale of the event as well. I mean, the off-Broadway, the scale of the event off-Broadway in a regional theater, the, there's, there's often they want an enormous scaled event in a tiny theater. Mm. And so the, the theater, the physical theater itself, dictates so much. Mm. And it's, it's, I find that to be the biggest difficulty, that they um, very often in regional theater want a Broadway show. And I just say, hello, have you looked at the theater? You know, it's, it's <laughs> and that's hard. That's yeah. hard. Because it's, um, and, and what gets harder is when they're getting you there because they think they're going to get that if they get you. Mm. Mm. But it, it, what David was saying that a little earlier, it's like, you know, they want David so they get, Every mean? show they've ever <laughs> thought of that he's done, and they don't realize those were all in collaborations with terrific people, and so it's. it's I'm not talking about what I was saying. That wasn't institutions. It was directors. The directors or know, the lack of collaboration. Yeah. They think they get us. They get every collaboration we've ever done. Like I hire you, and I'm going to get a Julie Taymor design. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to get hello. A day <laughs> day. Yeah, it's not going to because we are part of our, you know, what the what comes in, you know, comes out. I love the collaboration. I mean, it's my favorite part of what we is do. Is that why you're doing this? Is Absolutely. that why you're in the business? Absolutely. Because you enjoy that process. Yeah, I don't like the business part of it. Well, the business but I like the collaboration awesome. part of it. Is that true of all of us, do you think? That that's, Absolutely. that's the enjoyment? It's the pleasure? Uh, David looks a little... I'm just trying to think mm -hmm. what the best part is. Mm -hmm. the yeah, I think that... The, uh, I wouldn't be able to set myself up in a, in, a, in a garret somewhere with a bunch of canvases and paint, because I'd just be, now what? You know, that I... It's, you know what I mean, the That's artist. I feel exactly the same You know what I mean, like yeah. I get, we get to do. cheat. You know, you get to, I don't call myself an artist, but I could. <laughs> you know, we get to cheat because there's this, there's this script and there's another person that you're going to talk to or a group of people, you know. Mm -hmm. They're going to help you create something and then you'll get all the credit if it's good. You know, it's great. 
And there's a deadline, too. And there's a, and there's a deadline. This is really good, because it makes you actually a, do something. <laughs> and there's the inevitable, it's going to be over eventually. You know, yes. it's going to end. You know, I, I don't know. If I were to write a symphony, would it ever end? You know, there's, <laughs> there's always shows. Well, some shows try not to open. What do you think? Is it? Longest preview peri period in history. Really? Which one? Vampires. Oh, oh, oh you wrote that on the brain. That's <laughs> just like... <laughs> we started with air. <laughs> and, and it was a year. You know, it took a year. Well, there is something very pleasant about the, uh, about the rhythm of this business, in a way, because it takes you from the collaborative process, which takes place in the studio, and we're generating ideas and in, into this, this time in which you're do using your, your tools to create the piece, and then this in, their intense period of tech and production, and then bang, it's over. And there's something very pleasant about that. Mm. I, mean, uh, I really enjoy that kind of rhythm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, one of the most interesting things is I think like with um, fine art that it's it's sort of the, the, the end goal is permanence it's to, to go through you know eternity with whatever you produce the wonderful thing about theater is that it's in a way disposable that it even ephemeral. if a show what Pardon? ephemeral ephemeral that's better than disposable yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that uh, even the long you know if a show is, is a commercial show and runs for 15 years there is a moment where it it uh, it's time to, to to pack up and and it becomes memory and it be and I think that's uh, the wonderful thing is the <coughs> I think all of us have shows that we've done in the past that are these wonderful memories of of the experience of of what it was of shows we've seen that we haven't worked on. That um, I think that's part of what makes it so special is that it's fleeting and uh, and not permanent um, for me. Is that the reason that we're all primarily doing theater as opposed to film or TV? Do you think because of that quality? Or most of us are here. You certainly do quite a I've done bit some of TV. TV. And haven't you too, Skip? Yeah, done yeah, some TV. Yeah. I I like creating the world, and I find you can't do that in television or movies yeah. quite. Mm -hmm. Some some movies, but but generally. The idea of creating an entire world as a microcosm in a space is, is, doesn't happen in television mm. in the same way. And it's also the theatricality of even if, it's, even if you're doing um, a project that is um, realistic, there is a theatricality to that realism totally. that um, doesn't always happen on, on film, and sometimes mm -hmm. on film and television, yeah. but usually not. If I get a film script that lets me do that, I love it. Right. If I can do that. Mm -hmm. I would do it on film, but film doesn't often demand it. Yeah, generally they're looking for kitchens and bathrooms in television. And, and really, that's what it boils down to. It's realistic, very realistic. They want them as real as possible. And, it's, and the thing that's wonderful about theater is it's through your lens. It's through your own personal lens that you get to create this world. And it's, it's colored. It's colored with your personality, even if it's subtle or... or imperceptible. It's, I'm sure that film designers and TV designers feel differently about it. I, I personally just find it not very satisfying. Not satisfying. No, and it's also very compartmentalized, too. You're in the art department. You never, you're never really part of the, the world when it's actually being filmed. You're, you know, you're on to the next set already. Mm -hmm. You're not, it's not this collaborative world that it is in the theater. And you're part of this whole, you're working towards the goal of having this on stage and everyone's there at the same time. <coughs> and it's a living thing. And, and in film and TV, it's, it's so fractured 
said, I just don't find it personally satisfying. Just me. So mm. I've done a lot of kitchens, too. <laughs> on stage, you mean? But on stage, no, in movies, you know, in TV. Yeah. I used to do film and TV, you know, until mm -hmm. my theater career took off. Which, when you, when you say that to people, they think you're saying, you know, well, I used to work as a, you know, brain surgeon until my sanitation worker career. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, you know, I was actually getting somewhere in the in the in the television world a little bit, you know, uh. and then quit a major production to do a small theater project because my heart was always in the theater. But you just have to admit, like if. I could design movies like Fool's Fire. I do movies all the time. <laughs> Me I mean, too. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, that was very theatrical. Yeah. It was brilliant. But I brought theater into a yeah. into a lens, which yeah, was you, you know, and, mm. and with a theater director, right. with a theater mentality, with a theater. So that was part of the goal. Yeah, mm. it was amazing. Yeah. But uh, you, know, you see that, you say, "Well, I could do that the rest of my life." But, but there are very few films that are like that, and almost yeah. no TV is like that, right? Isn't TV pretty okay. much? Well, there was that Almost wonderful English director, Dennis Potter, who passed. I mean, he uh, tried to do projects for television that were artistic and very theatrical, mm -hmm. but uh, he's passed on. <laughs> the unfortunate, the, uh, the obscene part about the difference between theater and TV is the money. Oh, damn. The money is so much more, it just pours into TV and film. And you, make, you can make so much more money doing it than you do in theater. It's, it's obscene. It's I think. sick. I was making a week what, it, what, what back then, what I got paid for an entire production. Yeah. Every week the check would come and I'd be like, well, you paid me already. <laughs> and they'd be like, no, this is this week. I'm like, no way. You know, it was incredible. I know. And I quit as soon as a theater project came along, which was pretty stupid, I guess. <laughs> I don't think so. I was pretty broke back then. <laughs> <laughs> isn't the reality, though, I mean, when we work at, uh, for not-for-profit situations, uh, the designers usually end up subsidizing the theaters, the not-for-profit theaters, is actually usually going into debt. You actually go into debt. You lose money doing some of these jobs. I went into Pro major debt major several debt. times. Yeah. How, what do you do about that? And why? Why do you do that? Uh, that's the problem. I think it's kind of a sickness that designers <laughs> have. <laughs> because it's, well, because your name is on the program and it's your work that's up on stage and you have a certain standard that you want to, you know, uphold. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be able to simplify and, you know, try to live within the parameters, but sometimes it's just unrealistic. I don't think people have a clue what it takes to put things on stage sometimes because you'd have a chair and a table and that would be it. So, um, yeah, I've gone into debt. I'm not proud of it, but I have. <laughs> Fortunately, in some cases, when a show is successful, like with Avenue Q, and when it moved, it the producers were very generous, and they reimbursed me. Did they? Yes, That's they did. I have to say, I've never heard of I, that happening, ever. Yeah. I was, I w it was suggested to me by someone, and, uh, and they said, you should ask them, you should tell them how much you spent, it was, well, the producers were very, they were curious about it because they'd heard about it. Mm -hmm. They'd heard through the grapevine. They said, tell us how much you spent so we, we can reimburse you. And were so they, they reimbursed me the $10,000 that I spent. Wow. Jeez. That's wow. Real, that is unheard of. i got to make that some phone calls. Were they involved beforehand, though? No, not financially. I, I don't think so, no. There they was no connection. No, they were they were going to be the producers if it were if okay. it was going to move. So it's a slightly different, you know. No, and I I could have easily lost it and never gotten it back. But that's an is a whole separate topic. But you know, you do these not for profits, but there are those dudes over there, you know, and they 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 have first dibs. 
Do you oh. know what I mean? And that creates a very unusual dynamic. And it's a separate conversation, but it, 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 uh, <coughs> who am I working for? The not-for-profit or the guy with the Armani suit? Oh, no. I was, you know what I mean? I, I just felt like it was important well, to me. An increasingly uh, confused issue these days. I mean, it just it continues Every to show go has got on. somebody yeah, yeah. behind and, it. And the whole fee structure is, uh, reflects who knows what it really reflects. It's, it's really confusing. A lot of the time now. But don't you find you end up paying assistance that you never get reimbursed for? Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Because it's just impossible to do it all yourself. You can't do it you by yourself. You can't physically do it. Yeah, I don't know so. if any of us have not done that. <laughs> At the end of the year, the assistant bill never meets what yeah. it was. So how is it possible to survive in the business if you don't do television and you don't do enough or you don't do commercial, that's commercial theater that's actually successful. I mean, you can do commercial theater, but unless it runs, you're usually in the hall there, too. My, my solution to that, yeah. do lots and lots of shows. That's been the only, the only way for, for me is, you know, say having one that's running, I now know, oh, I get it. You know, if, if it runs, that's great. But the, the only way I found financially to survive is to do a ridiculous number of productions. Because then, at least, then you're, you're sort of you know you're, you're loading it up from the front, you know, and then then you're sharing assistance amongst shows and things like that. But even that can get sort of out of control. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, that I'm fortunate in that even like we were doing the August Wilson plays. The great thing about doing one of those is you could end up doing it at, at ten different theaters, mm -hmm. regional theaters. And at least you know you sort of sorted it out, and then it becomes a little easier each time you do it. And again, that's just luck that you know. But then, you, but that. you don't get a whole new fee every time you. It moves to a different regional theater, do you, or do you? Get I, I, How does I, it work? I mean, it keeps yeah. changing. Everyone's different, I guess. They, I try to. They try to. They try to do that. that but yeah. Well, there, there, that's a big bone of contention no. in our um, in our negotiations with um, mm. the League of American Theater Producers, etc. Mm. Right co-productions about co-productions and how a designer uh, should be compensated based on the fact that he or she designed the production regionally and then it transfers somewhere else or transfers mm -hmm. to. Broadway, and, um, but I think you have to make a. I, I feel as a lighting designer that um, that the work um, pretty much has to be redone if you transfer to another theater because typically the productions that we've worked on, August Wilson plays, we go from a, a thrust to a proscenium to a, um, a modified thrust to some, so from one totally different theater to another. So I basically had to redesign the show each time, and you still have to spend. The time doing the plot, hiring an assistant, in residency, in previews. So for me, I, I usually ask for another fee. And I don't feel um, I don't feel apologetic about that because it's still the same amount of time and uh, the same amount of effort. Yeah, involved. I feel pretty much this, I, I got, but with, with August though, you can kind of get away with it. You know the show's going to go there and you can always say, well, then hire another scenic designer. Well, that's not going to happen because they need your ground plan. They need your, you know, so you do have a little bit of leverage there. But, you know, I, I think that our work is somehow um, uh, written off in a way or I think underestimated. I mean, for example, there is a movement now where if you design a production in a regional theater uh, and that production transfers to Broadway, typically the producer will request that the fee you received at that regional theater be deducted from your Broadway fee. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's standard practice right now. And to me, it, it's a statement about, you know, what we as designers contribute to these productions. Um, and it's not a 
particularly positive statement. Um, <laughs> but that's one of the things that, that I think we're all, our union is confronting, as you know. Uh, but not too successfully thus yeah. far. Confronting thus far, not too successfully. Yeah, which I don't understand. I don't know why that would be. Um, I mean, I think it's clear that um, we, we all designers, you know, work very hard and uh, we, we just need to make a living like everybody else. And um, what we're asking for is pretty reasonable, yeah. I think. Especially when you amortize what you're getting paid over the course yeah. of the weeks and weeks and weeks that you end up working on it. Yeah, what's is interesting too is, yeah, how long do you work on it? Do you know, right. you're getting one, f you know, you try to explain that to people who don't anything about the business, you know. And you say, well, you know, not only do you get overtime, which is non-existent, but, <laughs> but if the show takes this long to, you know, this many weeks to do, that's one thing. If it takes, you know, three years, it's the same fee, it's the same everything. You know, and having to redo it, you know, it's all included, it's all included. Well, if you ever actually try to figure it out by, by the hour. Yeah, everybody does that once. Oh, yeah. well, you want to kill yourself. You're getting about a quarter an hour. If you look at these big Broadway musicals, particularly, which take a year, year and a half to do, and if you look at the fee, it's just uh, it's, it's economic suicide, <laughs> and and really the only way to uh, to survive is if if you're lucky enough to have something that runs and pays royalties and puts out road companies. Right, as a so. designer, you're basically an investor in these large musicals. Mm -hmm. You really are because you're devoting a lot of your own self, your own time, free of charge, mm -hmm. ultimately, or at a very low rate. Mm -hmm. This looks like a good time to, uh, to take a pause and hear a few words about the American Theatre Wing. Before we get back to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminar on Design, I would like to remind you that these seminars are only one of the many year-round programs that the Wing undertakes. You're probably familiar with the American Theatre Wing's Tony Awards, given for achievement of excellence in the Broadway theatre. We also have an important grants program providing aid to off and off-off Broadway theaters. We have expanded our scholarships to promising students to pursue studies in the theater arts. And we offer a comprehensive guide to careers in the theater to those seriously interested in entering the profession. As long as established charity dating back from World War I and World War II and our famous stage or canteen, all of our programs are designed to reward and promote excellence in the theater. We just love to introduce young people and their families to theater and the magic it unfolds. We take pride in the work we do, remain grateful to our members and everyone else whose contributions help make possible the dynamic programs of the American Theater Wing. Our work is so important to the theater and the community. And we are proud to be a part of this exciting industry. Now, Let's return to our panel on design and our moderator, Heidi Ettinger. Heidi. Thank you. Um, I'd like to bring up the subject of internal collaboration or designer to designer collaboration and ask you what you think is important about that, what Disasters you've had, what triumphs, and how it all works. David. Disasters again. <laughs> no, it doesn't have that. It's triumphs. Disasters. I'm trying to be positive. Uh, internal. <laughs> I think that, you know, designers are, uh, uh, we are our own, like, separate club in a way. Um, so the, the scenic designer, lighting designer, costume designer, you know, sometimes sound, you know, all of that. We are, we are a little different, I suppose, than everybody else. So um, 
I don't know. I guess there's there's a little bit of a fellowship to that. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with this, but the thought being that what I like to do when I when I uh, work on a show is meet with as many people that are available as possible. I don't know if you all the same way. You know that uh, the, that the scenic designer, costume designer, lighting designer, director. You know, and then and then bring in the writer at some point. But uh, but there there's no one idea from any particular person. I think that the, the diversity of of ideas and thoughts coming from just about anybody or you know cross disciplinary. I think is what's particularly interesting. Ultimately, the lighting designer is going to like the show, obviously. But you know, uh, I've had many uh, uh, you know great uh, uh, thoughts and ideas can, can come from it just you know anywhere. So so I think uh, keeping keeping the core group together as often as possible is is to me you know particularly interesting. I know that answers mm. the question. Right? Well, I want to hear uh, from Donald about some of the problems he's had in the past because I heard this. Just uh, well, I just think the the key <laughs> to uh, collaboration with my fellow. Designers is uh, communication is uh, I, I think especially um, between the lighting and set designer a, a good relationship is important. Um, I think the best set designers I've worked with are the ones who are sensitive to you know what light can offer, how important light is to their the, the realization of their vision, and um, it's it's my priority really um, to make I, I think what I've, I really start thinking about how I like the space, how I like the scenery. That's one of the first um, sort of directions I take. To me, um, the set really answers a lot of questions I have about the production. I try to get involved as early as I can and um, collaborate, talk to the director, be involved in early discussions. But ultimately, the set, for me, um, answers a huge amount about how to approach a piece, how I approach it stylistically, how I carve out the space, how the world is revealed. It defines a great deal for me. Um, so early and um, regular, not always regular, but good um, communication with a set designer is crucial for a lighting designer. And I think I would argue that for a set designer to really have the set that they want on stage, it's important for them to collaborate and communicate with the lighting designer. Um, and the, and the, the, I've had situations where that hasn't happened. Um, ultimately, they've been pleasant. But um, I'll give you one. I'm sure that the people involved will, uh, they're laughing about it now, so I can <laughs> talk about it. A couple of years ago, I was working on a production of, um, I don't know if any of you have seen it, was uh, Chaucer in Rome at Lincoln Center. And um, <coughs> the... Uh, I was very busy at the time. I was working on two Broadway projects, Bells Are Ringing and um, King Headley. And right after that, I was going to Lincoln Center to light Chaucer in Rome. So I was partially responsible for not keeping open the lines of communication. There was a set designer, um, very talented set designer, who was kind of new to the that scene, the Lincoln Center big big project scene. And he um, made an assumption that production management was g getting the information to me and production management made the assumption that I was getting information from the set designer. Anyway, um, two or three weeks or so before I thought a light plot was due, or maybe even later than that, I got on the phone and I said, well, who's the set designer? I haven't heard from anybody. I haven't heard from the director or the set designer. Can you tell me who it is? Uh, Jeff Hamlin. And Jeff said, oh, it's this guy. Um, here's his phone number. And I said, well, is there anything I, I haven't heard from anybody. Is there anything I need to know about the space? Like, is there a ceiling? Or <laughs> is there a, are there any challenges? And he goes, well, there's no ceiling, but um, the entire floor is a mirror. And I said, great. Well, if you don't know the, the Mitzi Newhouse, it's, a, um, it's a, a thrust space. It's essentially almost fully, well, it's three-quarter round. 
very steep seating. So for a lighting designer, having a, a completely mirrored floor would be something you'd like to know about in advance because essentially, you know, you light hits the floor, it bounces up and blinds the audience. <laughs> it, it, um, <laughs> it creates uh, huge challenges. So anyway, um, I had a periodic but rather extreme um, reaction to that news. And uh, so our collaborate, my collaboration with the set designer didn't actually begin well. Um, <laughs> and uh, eventually, you know, after much work and, and much, uh, I, I tried to get some things changed, but at the point that the process, at that point, the, the set had been built. I mean, it was in the shop. It was under construction. So I wasn't, I didn't have the opportunity to make real changes or to really input, have any input at all into the design. I had to basically deal with it. And um, it was extremely, um, it was extremely difficult process. But what was interesting is that after I got over the initial shock, <laughs> I wound up making choices. I decided, instead of resisting the idea of mirror, a mirrored floor, I decided to use it to my advantage. And I came up with some interesting choices I felt that uh, ultimately excited me, w benefited the production, and um, the, the end result was very positive, and everybody, we, we've worked together since, and we laugh about it now, but um, it was an important lesson for me. I don't think I would ever let time slip by again and never um, allow that situation to happen. So there's an example. Um, Did the light hit people in the eye? Yeah, initially. <laughs> um, the entire, if you guys have been to the new house, everybody on the sides, the side seating was completely blinded. Um, <laughs> and so I had to essentially rehang the entire light plot several times, change all the angles so that the, um, and you know, the set, I felt really bad. I mean, this is what I, I was always taught that there are no problems, just solutions. I, it would, the Lincoln Center and the director were ready, and the set designer was ready to sand down that mirrored floor. <coughs> and I could see, you know, there was, there's something in me, I guess it's a good thing, I said to myself, you know, I don't want that to happen. I don't want him to have to make that change because uh, it's central to his vision. So I think it's my obligation to try to make it work. So I was very unpopular. I had to rehang a lot of lights, uh, make a lot of changes, but ultimately by finessing how the lights were hung, where they were hung, um, it worked out. And I used a, a lot of, for example, there was this big to Roman pediment, big wall upstage that framed the space. And I felt it would be really attractive if it were uplit. Uh, my uh, first impulse was to have a floor, a, a trough in the floor with lighting inside. But I said, well, that's not possible. It's too late. Mm. So I wound up um, down lighting the mirror and putting the lights in, in the exact right sort of relationship to the wall, so the light bounced off the mirror and uplit the wall and had the same wow. effect. So that was an example. Or there are a couple of ghostly sort of stylized expressionistic moments where I literally lit people with the bounce off the floor. So if somebody was 15 feet up in the air and I wanted them uplit, I got a very intense source and lit down at the floor at the just the right angle so that I created a glow on people's faces that way. So that's what I mean. It, it was the kind of play that could accommodate that type of lighting style, that kind of lighting approach, and uh, it worked out fine in the end. But it was, um, people still, every time I go to Lincoln Center, they, everybody jokes about it. <laughs> it's kind of legendary, legendary. Lighting. But you're particularly good about keeping in touch. <coughs> that was it. You were slipping. I slipped. <laughs> I, I, I will be honest. I was very, I was too busy at that time. And um, 
under a lot of stress, and I just it sort of let it slip through the cracks, and it was a mistake. So it was, a, I made a mistake. Every, everybody was at fault, really. I was at fault. The set designer was at fault. The production manager was at fault. I'll never bl blame the director, but you know I will take um, responsibility. You're saying you're too busy. <laughs> I was too busy. Yes, <laughs> you're too busy. You just finished taking three major Broadway musicals, and we still had time to meet about a regional theater production. So you're not too busy now. Well, I was. I, I learned my lesson. It was a mistake. <laughs> I, I try to not do make the same mistake twice. So, we learn to protect each other too. I mean, we send each other. We I, I've learned not to rely on the production manager to send drawings or assume that they're, you know, getting the information out. Mm -hmm. We I I do sets and clothes for most of the things I do. So that's I I only have to deal with a couple other designers, mm -hmm. which is real handy. But it's it's what happens is that I send always the lighting designer the minute the drawings are done is because it's we're doing this together. Mm -hmm. And if you're right. waiting for that week where where somebody's forgetting to copy the plans to get the you end up yeah. with the mirror floor. Well, and I'll just say one other thing that's really important. I won't mention the show, but a recent production, brilliant set designer. He did not date his drawings, okay? The drawings have no dates and no title blocks on them. So, and I got several revisions. So, uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever, when I'm trying to design the show, I have this set of drawings, this set of drawings, this set of drawings. None of them have dates. I can't call the guy up at 3 o'clock in the morning. He and why not? <laughs> guess what I did? I took the wrong set. Oh, no. So then you show up at the theater, and you know, guess what? Um, that wall moved downstage, you know, six inches, yeah. and that wall moved over, and that thing got cut. I mean, I literally was, and that's a Broadway show. Um, so, set designers always put a date on your drawing. <laughs> 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 All right. No reason to say the newest drawing is the right one. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying a simple thing like that. You think, what's the big deal? It's huge. I mean, I would never think, well, big deal. The, the right date isn't on the drawing. But now I feel differently about it. And um, I've been through a lot in my career. And now, it's, it's now I want to make sure, I think every time I get a set of drawings, I'm going to make sure that that's the right revision, the right version. Mm -hmm. When I was an assistant designer, I felt that half my job was to to destroy old documents. Mm -hmm. You know, you sneak into the scene shop and rifle the drawers and think, old, old, yeah. Now, wh wh how, what do you think was the most important aspect of all of your educations that led you Ooh. to become designers? Was it, was the assistant process an important one? Was it? I, it was very important for me. Was it? Yeah, I, that's where I really learned. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I learned in, at NYU, you know, three years of NYU, but you applied the practical aspects of what you learned in you know in a real situation and dealing with the shops and it's so much of it is about uh, it's political too you have to really talk to people and get them to be on your side and the shops have to deliver what you want to have them deliver and it helps when you have good relationships with them because they they, they give it that extra effort to throw in a few extra things for you that mm -hmm. they initially said they couldn't afford to do. And, um, but the assistant route has a, has a downside, too, yeah? And oh, it's hard to get beyond that sometimes. It definitely is. I mean, as a matter of fact, I think that's why I, for me, it took me a long time to, to, to make the transition from assisting to designing. I mean, I always design little shows off-Broadway, you know, for no money. but. Um, because you're seen as an assistant, just you know, I worked for some wonderful people, including you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, 
I learned a great deal, but it is a trap. It can be a trap because you become someone's right hand mm -hmm. and uh, they depend on you and um, it's a great steady income as well. And it's difficult to break out on your own and design for no money and hope to get a good relationship with a few good directors that are up and coming and uh, hope that you can, you know, hitch onto their wagon and, and, and uh, do well. Um, so uh, I finally decided I was not going to assist anymore, and that's what forced me to um, work as a designer. I just said no. Did you all go through a similar path? No. No. Mm -mm. no. Okay. Well, what was <laughs> it then? <laughs> I never assisted. Mm -hmm. I, d I did in school because it was part of the program. And where were you at but school? At, uh, for grad school at uh -huh. Yale before that Berkeley. Um, and I just, I was lucky. I started, I, I think I was lucky because I took the set and costume union exams mm -hmm. the same year. Mm -hmm. And Ming, uh, I remember his hands on my throat at one time saying, <laughs> please don't do that because he was afraid I was going to fail mm -hmm. one or the other. And I passed them both. And so people got to know my name pretty quickly, and I got work right away. So I was lucky. I was very, very lucky. That's so I never had to assist. Did you, Kathy, you started working out right out of school, yeah, I, too, Yeah, I worked right? right away. I never assisted. Uh -huh. and, I and assisted Santa Laquasto for a week once. Mm -hmm. That was it. <laughs> and that was because you, you went to Yale and sort of made connections internally yeah, with your connections school and mates? Then, uh, when I uh, moved to New York. I started doing little shows, and I kept a low overhead. I lived in a dump for no money, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I didn't really need to assist. And um, and I think that um, I always felt like for costumes, I have a very particular vision. It's hard to assist for someone else um, because I would always feel I'd want to do things my way instead of being subservient and. Um, acknowledging the views of the person I was supposed to be assisting. Especially if you don't like their aesthetic. Very yeah, so I, th I think I'm too opinionated in terms of my um, um, uh, taste to, to really assist someone else. Um, so uh, I, I was lucky where I didn't need to do that. Um, but I, I think uh, in your question about where, where um, do, what, what do I think was the most important part of becoming a designer, and I think um, I also went to, to Yale, and um, but I think it was the years before going to Yale. It's just sort of life experience. I went to art schools and traveled a lot, and I just think just being open to the world is is one of the most important um, um, attributes to to being a designer. Like stepping away from sort of the bubble of the aggravations of of designing and the day to day frustrations, and just you know, going to museums and seeing art shows and traveling and, and reading books. And it's like what you were saying about the uh, Marion uh, McClinton when you work with him and the um, sort of research he gives you. That just sounds so wonderful to me that it's, it sounds like someone that's really engaged in the, in, in the world outside of theater. It's someone that um, is, is open and exposed to, <coughs> to ideas and, um, and uh, um, inspiration from um, from outside sources. Um, so for me, um, that's um, 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 just this sort of um, journey away from um, 
the microcosm of, of theater has helped me the most. Very wise. <laughs> Absolutely. And how about you guys? Well, educational background? Education. I'm actually doing this with a high school diploma. Uh, mm -hmm. That's as far as I got, mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, degrees. You know, I did go to college for this and didn't have a great experience in a lot of ways. I learned a lot of the, a lot of the technical stuff, though. You know, I mean, the drafting and the models and all that were very, very helpful. And the practical, practical aspects of the theater were, 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 what was it, SUNY Purchase, um, were very well, I think, um, um, uh, taught. From a design qu question, you know, uh, the jury's sort of out on that, I guess. Um, that, again, was a long time ago. It's a completely different faculty there now. So, you know, um, that being said, I didn't assist much at first. I, I actually, the very first thing I did, moved to the public, and it was a big, big hit. So, you know, I thought, oh, this is easy. You know, you know <laughs> it was uh, I got a Drama Desk nomination, and you won that year, though. I, I mm -hmm. lost. You won for, yes, I've always hated you ever since. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you know, it was, uh, it was, you got for Secret Garden, it was Senior Secret oh, Garden, wow. which was, of course, much wow. deserved. But, uh, yeah, I got, you know, that was a, that, that was a show of the public, and it was, you know, kind of a big deal, and, mm -hmm. and that was neat. And I worked a great deal, but I think in the way that Kathy said, you know, I was willing to live on absolutely nothing. I mean, the, the, the poverty level was extraordinary um, to do my own thing. And I worked a lot. I worked in many, many different places. Um, I did a little bit of assisting early on, um, but for the most part, it was, was sort of doing my own thing. Uh, then I started getting more and more big work, like major, you know, regional theaters and that kind of thing. And so that was that was building. And then I stopped. And then I started uh, working for uh, John Arnone again, who I had assisted, who had built models for years before, and that was on Tommy. Um, so I started assisting again, but after having worked, you know, regionally for quite some time, and and working, you know, f you know, Seattle rep and you know, big places like that. Um, and that was a great experience because, you know, uh, working with John and putting together Tommy, and I wasn't sort of the head assistant on the Broadway, but I took over the show and did it in all the subsequent productions. Um, I learned all the people, learned the shops, the producers, the managers, you know, I learned that end, so it was a, it was a, it was a great education and a process of commercial theater. So that when a good, when a first big commercial project came my way, People, everybody knew me, you know, the producers mm -hmm. already knew me, and management knew me, and yeah. shops all knew me, and so that was, that was, in, I thought it was ter terrific, you know, because it, it wasn't like, uh, 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 well, it was just, it was, it was just a very different uh, kind of an experience, but it, uh, it opened the doors, you know, to the next, to the next level, so. It's a good feeling, actually, because uh, I realize now with Avenue Q on Broadway, I've seen a lot of these guys for like 15 years from way back when right. and, and I feel like I guess I'm I guess this is my career yeah you know <laughs> suddenly you realize I, I've actually been doing it long enough that I'm part of this community and it's it's kind of a it's nice, cool it's a nice feeling it's it and and you you know it's right you're, you're building your Broadway show I don't know where it was built but you're going to a shop and you're not some punk that they're gonna right. just screw her yeah, because yeah. you know <laughs> nobody's ever heard of her and exactly. she's never gonna come around again she's just lucked out yeah. you know what I mean instead it was like oh it's you yeah, we, you exactly. know we know you yeah. you've, you've been you know you've giving us a hard time for 15 years you know? and, and bringing them cookies too right Oh, I wish I could do always. That a I always more. do that. You don't bring cookies? I'm Not always. Crispy no. <laughs> creams? I'll bring, no. you, I'll bring them another bid session. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, crispy yeah. creams is the way to all of their hearts. Uh, that's such, that's really. stereotypical. Stagehand donut. <laughs> but it's you know. true. You know, some of these stereotypes are based in reality. Well, that's <laughs> crispy <laughs> cream. Everybody loves crispy cream. That's true. I love stagehands. I love one white.
So, Donald, you have to tell us about your uh, background a little bit, please. Um, well, briefly, I, I have a little bit unusual background. I, I have a degree in forestry, a Bachelor of Science in Forestry. <laughs> that beats wow, my high school wow. class. That's, and, that's uh, I, well, like any 18-year-old kid, I was interested in a lot of things, including theater, but also the outdoors. I was big in Boy Scouts. And so I went to the University of Maine, got my degree in forestry, forestry but of course I was very involved in theater and music and all kinds of things. And then I... Um, I graduated. I went on tour for a while with a rock and roll band. Um, uh, eventually, I went. I worked. Performing? No, as a, as, a, as a roadie. Tell the uh, truth. Van Halen. Where's the band? Yes. Where's 1984 the band? tour. Come on. No, Somebody. <laughs> oh, wow. um, and then I, uh, before Moving Lights, and then I, um, they eventually I went to Yale, I, and I um, got a degree in technical design and production, uh, tech, tech direction. And um, I studied with Jennifer Tipton there and um, made that. Really, in the, I, I was embraced by Jennifer and the design program. They gave me a lot of opportunities to design, mainly because I was very um, persistent about it. And uh, I think um, when I started, when they started seeing my work, that opened up a lot of eyes. And um, I got the encouragement and the uh, sort of the the, the nod and um, the support to move ahead as a lighting designer. I think that I spent a lot of my youth um, questioning myself whether I, I actually had what it took to be a designer even though that's what I always wanted to do. And so the fact that I'm, I think I've been, I've wanted to be a lighting designer really if I admit it since I was 13 years old, ever since I started seeing theater as a kid. So to be in the position I'm in right now is, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a it really is a dream. I feel incredibly fortunate. I, I, I did a little assisting, I assisted Jennifer Tipton a little bit, but I earned a lot of my money when I w because when I was designing, I, I, I had very few design opportunities out, out of graduate school. I, I worked at a consulting firm um, designing rigging systems and um, dimming systems, and I went on tour with a lot of dance companies, Modern Dance and Ballet Hispanico, and I learned a tremendous amount on the road trying to remount other people's work um, on a daily basis. Uh, it was. It was a real, that was a huge education for me. But I have to say that uh, graduate school, for me, having a degree, a Bachelor of Science degree, going to graduate school and studying design with someone like Jennifer um, was uh, huge. It was life-changing. And uh, it really kind of propelled me. And then also working after graduate school, doing dance for years, um, and then regional theater and off-Broadway for years and years. Um, by the time I had my real break on Broadway, which was... Um, the Lion King. I had done a few things before that, but by the time I got The Lion King, I was really ready for it. I had the, the confidence and I think I've, I had the uh, technical skills and the, um, and just, I, I, pro I think I was at the point in my career where I just kind of approached it like any other show. I, I, it, was, it was huge. And um, I had a relationship with the director, Julie. I knew what I had to do to sort of work with her. And um, it was very organic and it, it felt very comfortable. Um, and uh, that really propelled my career. Um, from, you know, from the moment after I did The Lion King, um, you know, um, things really uh, happened in a, a huge way for me. And uh, like I said, you know, every day I wake up, I complain about being overtired and overworked, but I really have nothing to complain about. I'm very, very fortunate. So, what what uh, what projects are you all working on now, and what have you just completed? That's the next, and I, I think probably the. Probably one of the last questions, too. Want to start with you? Yes. Well, as I said, I'm working on The Beard of Avon. It's a new play about how perhaps um, Shakespeare 
wasn't one man, that it was um, mm -hmm. perhaps a groupist theory that uh, mm -hmm. uh, were responsible for the works of William Shakespeare, and it's a comedy, um, which means that um, the great thing about a comedy is that um, normally all the design things that are a problem you can kind of indulge in. Like if it's funny, it's a good thing. Because a lot of times when you, especially in costumes, you have to say, oh no, that looks too funny, you have to tone it down. But it's a way to celebrate um, sort of the um, insanity of certain um, um, eras in costume history. And um, I'm beginning to work on um, a musical with Susan Shulman, Heartland. And uh, I'm also doing the Bill Irwin um, series at Signature. And uh, we're doing another piece, Regard of Flight, and that starts in a couple of weeks. And um, um, there's some other projects coming up in the future, but that's, that's Great. what's happening right now. <laughs> that's good. I open um, Wilder at Playwrights Horizons on Sunday. Great. Which is a new chamber musical. It's pretty <coughs> terrific. And um, Time of Your Life, which I did at Steppenwolf in Chicago, mm -hmm. is now moving to Seattle Rep and ACT. And um, a couple new musical projects, uh, Five Course Love at Jiva. And this great. Our dance cards usually have five or six things. Mm -hmm. That's great. At the same time. And Anna Luisa? Well, um, I've just come out of a, a very long uh, year of a number of shows. Like David said, you just take, take them as they come. And I took a lot of shows, so I've been mm. very busy. And now uh, I've just opened Goldust Balcony uh, a week and a half ago at the Helen Hayes, and Avenue Q just opened a month ago at the Golden, and then um, I'm hoping to take a break. S and it looks like I might be able to. Um, a couple of things have fallen through, but um, there's one little show I'm doing up at Lowell, Massachusetts, at Merrimack Rep, called uh, Looking Over the President's Shoulder. It's a one-man show directed by Surrett Scott. And that's it for me right now. Mm. And? I've had a really busy fall. Um, <laughs> I worked with Dave on August Wilson's new play last summer, uh, Gem of the Ocean. We did um, the Thoroughly Modern Millie National Tour and uh, the West End production. And then I went, um, I did uh, um, Little Shop of Horrors, the revival in Florida and then on Broadway, and um, then The Boy from Oz. And um, I'm now working on The Violet Hour, which opens um, in a week, and or less than a week, yeah, a week mm -hmm. from tomorrow. And um, I have other. I'm working on the moving out national tour soon, and um, an opera in Houston, and um, some other projects. So I'm I'm busy. I'm uh, working on a, kind of a nice variety of interesting things. So it's good to be done with all these Broadway projects. It was a real, um, very stressful, but challenging and exuberant time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David. Oh well, you know, like you said, take a break. I'm actually trying to. Uh, I'm, I'm currently shopping for a third world country to move. Uh, for <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding for for the latter part of the winter. But uh, yeah. until then, well, we're, as you say, we're doing. There's got to be a tremendous amount of water where I'm going. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but uh, he's a scuba diver. Yeah, yeah. To get a little job. So we're doing. Uh, what are we doing? Yeah, we did Gem of the Ocean, which is coming in in November, apparently, the new August Wilson play. Um, and we're doing a, 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 a really Sunday. interesting play called A.M. Sunday at Center Stage in Baltimore, uh, which is uh, will be interesting. Very, very small play, actually, very quiet. And um, right now I'm working on a play called Drowning Crow, which is a contemporary sort of stylized retelling of The Seagull. Um, which is going to mm -hmm. be at the Biltmore when Manhattan Theatre Club will be the, after they've, they've sorted it out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to uh, 
you know, sorted out the Biltmore. We're going to be in there with that. And it's musical, but not for a little while. And it's just some other stuff later on down the line. So Sounds busy. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. We have like about another minute left, I think. Is anyone? Go. Yeah, what about you? <laughs> oh, what am I doing? I'm doing a... Oh, I have a minute. Uh, I'll talk very fast. Um, Dinner with Demons at the second stage, which is a monologue and cooking show, which is uh, pretty entertaining. Jonathan Reynolds? With Jonathan. Yes. 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 And, uh, and then I'm working on a musical with Kathy uh, of A Little Princess, which we're, I'm also producing, so we're in the middle of trying to raise money for that, which is not a whole lot of fun, I have to say. But it's a wonderful show, and that's, I think, going to go to the Amundsen. So... Being perfectly timed, I'd like to thank this wonderful <laughs> panel for being here this afternoon. This has been American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminar, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you.